Welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Friends, we are in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 3. This is the final chapter of our series titled The Day of the Lord. Got two weeks left after today. And these first five verses function as a bridge. Kind of a bridge between chapter two, uh, preparing the church for apostasy, a falling away from the true faith. And a final command Paul will give us next Sunday, starting in verse six. Uh, then we'll finish the book of 2 Thessalonians on June 12th. These five verses contain top priorities for prayer. I see three of them. Three that Paul is especially concerned about, uh, and we shouldn't be surprised that a a paper cut is not among them. Boo-boo. Number one is the rapid advance of the gospel. Second is protection from our adversaries, whom he refers to as perverse and evil men. And third is Paul's prayer that love and steadfast endurance continue to increase in Thessalonica. I'll begin by reading Simply, uh, verses 1 through 5 this morning, Paul writes, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you, and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, and He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in you concerning the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. Last Sunday in chapter 2, we learned how God has called so many of us out of spiritual apostasy. He he opened our eyes through the light of Christ and the gospel. And I was asked after that message last week, um, what can we do for those who remain in spiritual darkness? How do we help those who are deceived by false manifestations of Christianity? What do you do if you have a loved one who is still praying the rosary? Still attends a church that teaches all world religions lead to God. Still believes male and female gender roles are fluid and can be reversed. What do you do for a person who is trapped in apostasy? Is there any hope for them? And folks, as long as they are living and breathing, there is hope. Which one of us here uh, wasn't ourselves 
called out of darkness? What believer amongst us hasn't had our love for sin transformed into a love for Christ? And what would make us think that the spiritual renewal that the Holy Spirit has prompted within us wouldn't be replicated elsewhere? This is precisely what Paul establishes as our first priority for prayer. That the exact same spiritual transformation that occurred in you and in me will be replicated in others. Thessalonica is commanded to pray in verse 1 that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. Well, how did that happen in Thessalonica? How did that occur? Well, quite simply, Paul showed, showed us way back in 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2 and verse 13, that it occurred the day that they had received the word. And Paul wrote to them, when you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. So Paul established that when the word was received in Thessalonica as divine, it then accomplished its work in them. Our, Lord brother, our Lord's brother James, he wrote something of the same nature in his epistle, also spoken to believers a lot like us. Quote, in the exercise of God's will, he brought us forth. Literally, he gave birth to us. Same phrase is used for the process of a baby moving through the birth canal. James writes, in an exercise of God's will, he brought us forth. He, he gave birth to us. How? By the word of truth. So that we would be a kind of first fruits. You find that in James 1 and verse 18. So our church learned previously when we were in 1 Thessalonians uh, not that long ago the means by which God grants spiritual rebirth is the proclamation of the Word of God. We spent one entire Sunday specifically on the importance of this. Um, on this point, the testimony of the apostles always remains consistent. Peter wrote, You have been born again, not of seed which is a perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring Word of God. That's how you're born again. And the apostle John records Jesus saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again... He cannot see the kingdom of God. So a, a person born physically into this world cannot enter God's kingdom. You must first be born again by the Holy Spirit of God. Um, Paul knows during his request for prayer in verse 1 that spiritual rebirth it occurs only through the spreading of the word of God. Pray it will spread rapidly, he asks. 
Well, how will they believe a message which they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And, and how will they know unless a preacher is sent, right? Romans chapter 10. So I don't personally buy into unsubstantiated reports that people are coming to Christ everywhere in foreign lands through dreams and visions. Why? Because Paul says to send a preacher. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. How will they hear unless you send a preacher? Paul knows preaching the word is the only way anybody ever gets saved. You preach in season and out of season, he told Timothy. You probably noticed our street sign out at the corner here as you pulled in our driveway. It says, Vacation Bible School, June 12th to the 14th. Well, that message is strategic. It's important that people register their kids who will come and they will hear the word of Christ. But have you also noticed what I normally put on that sign? Which is also strategic, I would add. Most of the time, it is a quote of Scripture. A direct quote from Scripture. Why? Because I know from the Bible that the faithful proclamation of Scripture is the only mechanism that the Holy Spirit uses to regenerate a sinner's heart. It's the only thing the Holy Spirit employs. So cute church signs. I like them too. They say honk if you love Jesus. Text while driving if you want to meet him. They're cute. They're adorable. But they don't possess any power to save. By comparing the message of the gospel and the word of God, that is the power of God unto salvation. And for these reasons, I would urge you, whether you are writing a card, whether you are sending an email, a letter, a Facebook post, uh, whatever it is, the most powerful element you can include to influence an unbeliever you love is a thoughtful quote from Scripture. You don't have to overthink it doesn't have to be anything fancy. All of God's Word is powerful. And most people in America have heard that God's Son died for their sins and rose on the third day. They've heard it again and again and again to where they're almost immunized against it. But the Spirit has power. The Spirit is more powerful, and God can use any brief quote or summation from Scripture in order to save Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Hang that around their neck. Not only you, what about your household? Boy, the world word has power. It has power. If we are going to then pray with sincerity, if we're going to pray honestly and with integrity and in harmony with verse 1, 
that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, uh, just as it did also in Thessalonica, then we're going to have to treat the word for what it truly is. It's not the words of men. It is the word of God. Um, we, we have to exert a confidence in spreading this holy seed uh, that is imperishable for it to achieve its divine objective. Good old preacher back in the day, Adrian Rogers. Some of you probably remember him. He goes, uh, we ought not be slouched over like a question mark. We ought to stand up straight like an exclamation point. That's what we do when we share the Word of God. It never diminish, never undermine the Word of God. Never underestimate its power to save. Well, that, that sword of the Spirit, it is razor sharp. It'll penetrate, Hebrews tells us, down to the soul and the spirit, even the division. It goes deep. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what the Word does. Folks, God and His Son are not ashamed of this book. We don't have to apologize for anything that God says. He created the heavens and the earth in six days. It's not hard to accept, knowing that the Apostle Peter assures that when Christ returns, he's going to melt it all down and create it new, a new heavens and a new earth in one day. So if you can't accept spontaneous creation, that God has that power, how can you believe that he can resurrect the dead? Bring them from the dust of the grave and reform them into a man or a woman again to be judged. Folks, the claims originate from the same book. It's the same source. You can't believe one without the other. And we proclaim Christ was raised... We do that with confidence. You know, Scripture goes to great lengths to assure us and reassure us that Christ was physically raised. He, he was not a phantom spirit. Thomas touched Jesus. He put his finger in the hand, and Jesus says, right here in my side, put your hand in my side. Jesus ate fish. It's a physical resurrection that we're looking toward. We're not just going to become a spirit and float around on a cloud somewhere. It's a very physical experience, the resurrection for us. Uh, don't underestimate and don't under, undermine the resurrection of Christ through casting doubt on everything else that is written in the Bible. The Bible does not record folklore it declares the truth, and God uses the truth of Christ to proclaim release to the captives and for sight to be given to the blind. Uh, therefore, we pray that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified. Glorified by those who to receive it for what it truly is, the word of God. And when we pray... For to spread rapidly, we are praying that the word will run its course. You might have a footnote there 
uh, next to spread that actually says run, that, that, that the word will run. And a number of my theological resources insist this phrase uh, that's translated in my version, will spread rapidly or, or will run rapidly, is reflective of, reflective of terminology used during the athletic games in Corinth. They had something like an, an Olympics there. It was big news in that day. And uh, this audience in this region would have been very familiar with this language. If that be true, what Paul may well be suggesting is that we pray with a mindset that the gospel finish its marathon course quickly. And in this closing chapter, folks, that would complement nicely. Complement nicely this overarching theme of these two letters. Their longing, Thessalonica's longing that this tribulation on earth will end and that the day of the Lord and Christ's return will come quickly. That's what they're hoping for. And that provides Thessalonica hope that relief will come. That was a promise in chapter 1 and verse 7. It's also the last prayer uttered in the Bible. It's immediately after Jesus' announcement that my reward is with me. And yes, Jesus says, I am coming quickly. We can each as a Christian respond, oh yes, amen, Lord Jesus. Oh, come quickly. If you were in uh, the adult Bible class, it starts at 9.15. Uh, they're going through parables. And this morning, uh, Mike Clements was going through the parable from Luke 18 about the unrighteous judge. You've got a widow who is crying out for justice from, a, from an unrighteous judge. And Mike correctly identified that as a contrast to God. And, and the, the idea is that if a widow will call out to an unjust judge, and eventually he'll answer, how much more so... Will God answer those elect who cry out to Him day and night? Those who are suffering the injustice in this world, God says, I won't delay long. Justice will come quickly. This is what Thessalonica is hoping for, that they would be delivered from the tribulation and that justice would come quickly quickly. But what did we learn just two weeks ago? Maybe, three, no, three weeks, two weeks, two weeks ago, about an outstanding prerequisite that exists before the Lord Jesus will return. Do you remember? That prerequisite established in Matthew 24 and verse 14 is Jesus' imperative that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Remember that? The gospel must run its course. Now, how far to the edges of the earth does that have to go? I'm not sure. 
I know Paul talks about uh, back in his day, he, he had felt he had shared the gospel, it had spread to all the known world. It appears that way to us as well today. So I believe in an imminent return of Christ, that he can come at any time. But the Great Commission has to run its course. <laughs> and we pray it runs quickly. Come, Lord Jesus. Um, it is a top priority for prayer. So can a person pray, verse 1, you know, with sincerity and then just sit on his or her, well, bottom? Can't do it. You can't pray this sincerely and say, you know, I'm just going to sit around and wait for somebody else to do it. This prayer for others, this prayer for Paul, expects that we participate. And Christians in Thessalonica praying that the word will spread rapidly. It expects their impassioned participation as well. Indeed, Paul's greeting in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5 assures this. Our gospel did not come to you in word only but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and in Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth. Thessalonica was already obedient to this command. Paul's saying, don't forget the command. Don't forget to pray for me in the same way. Well, think about this. Paul's dead. Paul has turned to dust. He, he is waiting for the return of Christ where his body will be raised when the trumpet sounds. But the gospel has to run its course. Well, who's going to join in? Who's going to run the race? When Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known the boldness of the mystery of the gospel and that in proclaiming it, I may speak it boldly as I ought to speak. There he leaves a pattern for us. Paul never said, I'm going to finish this all by myself. He says, this is the pattern for you to embrace. Folks, it is not possible for a spirit-indwelled believer to pray verse 1 with sincerity and not feel that same compulsion to join in and run the race. On that note, if you're curious about where we are going next for, for our next future ser sermon series, progress from book to book, um, it has got to be building the kingdom of God. It's got to be. 
this church. We have been sufficiently prepared for growth as the Lord wills. We have studied over the years a good number of books were learned. I think Satan kind of likes that. Just sit there and learn some more. Don't worry about getting out there. Sit there and learn and you'll become really, really smart. It's an easy route. Um, We've studied through a good number of books and many things we've learned as a church. We have have a good understanding, uh, a firm understanding of election and the sovereignty of God in salvation. The Holy Spirit is sovereign and, and like the wind, John writes in John chapter 3, the Spirit blows wherever it wishes. Spirit is sovereign. He convicts of sin. He regenerates the depraved heart. He indwells every believer. He seals them. Jesus says, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And when it comes to building the temple of God, which is Christ's church, we have recently learned... Zechariah 4 assures that this is built, that this work of Christ is built. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And this is a spiritual building project. Still, we recognize that God delegates the role of evangelism, the role of proclamation to us, even though the Spirit is sovereign. We've been through a gospel. We went verse by verse through the gospel of Luke. We have witnessed Christ's compassion. We've seen how he loves. He cares for the poor. He dies for sin. He asks us to be like him. We've also studied the wisdom literature of Ecclesiastes. And there we learned uh, what it means to experience a life well lived. Oh, that was a good book. Now we know how to live a life well. After this series in First and Second Thessalonians, we, we now have a really good grasp of how this age is going to end. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. Christ will appear with great power. Believers will be caught up into the sky by the angels and the earth and the rebellious will be left behind in the fire of judgment. For this reason, the Apostle Peter says, according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells and where Christ rules. So we know our future. Our future lies in the kingdom of Christ on earth. Now it is the time for us with passion and sincerity to pursue the Great Commission and take as many people with us as possible. We've learned enough. And as intimidating as it sounds, Folks, we we have to become soul winners. We must. It's the only way you can build God's kingdom. 
Evangelism must begin today. The new series is going to begin around Labor Day. Sorry. In the meantime, for about 10 weeks, we're going to have a summer series. Um, you know, while all of you come in and out of vacation, you've served well. I've got to say this last, this last school year, between kids club, um, youth group, uh, the, the fundraiser, uh, VBS is coming up. We had quite a few guys stretch themselves in teaching the, the Wednesday night adult study. Uh, we've gotten other people involved. Uh, I, I realize some of our volunteers are, are hoping that somebody's going to blow a whistle and call time out, right? Take a little break here. Take a little break for the summer. And while you take a breather in July and August, we're going to have a 10-week summer series and then come Labor Day. We're going to be refreshed enough where we're going to have to get in the game. We're going to have to run the course. We're going to have to run with the gospel so that it will finish its course. And Christ will come. Folks, that is prayer number one. Prayer priority number two is related. We see it in verse two. And that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men. For not all have faith. Boy, that is the understatement, that last clause. That's the understatement of the church age. Not all have faith. By sarcasm in that. Paul's not speaking about the broader world there. Other religions of the world. Uh, but once again is referring back to chapter 2. And this always increasing apostasy where we know the enemy is is always sowing tares among the wheat Paul's saying not all have faith and every church has them tares in the wheat and you know people in the pews for one objective one purpose or another uh, there are some who oppose the spread of the gospel they oppose the work of the church. They want to thwart the gospel's advance. Ben Witherington III says, um, quote, Paul's view is that opposing the gospel is an act of evil, not just ignorance, unquote. So he's saying it's not just that they don't know. The problem is that they do know. They stand in opposition to the work that Christ is building. Paul ran into quite a few of them. One would come along named Alexander the coppersmith. He testified against the apostle Paul in court. And according to 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, He did me much harm. And then he also warned Timothy, Be on guard against him yourself. For he vigorously opposed our teaching. So Alexander's masquerading in the church, within the church, as an angel of light. Hymenaeus and Philetus, they were men whom Paul said, quote, have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place 
and they upset the faith of some. Well, that sounds familiar to the error that we saw in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Some had claimed the day of the Lord had already come. You missed it. And we were told of Hymenaeus and Philetus that their talk spread like gangrene. Opposition to the work of Christ. And throughout the course of his ministry, Paul was constantly dogged. Constantly dogged by men who were opposing him. Uh, That's nothing new. That's nothing new for the church. Uh, Therefore, as this church strikes out to fulfill the Great Commission, to grow the work that we share, everything we are vested in here for the kingdom of God, watch for it. Watch for it. Satan's perfectly content with us learning. You start taking the gospel out, watch for it. Perverse and evil men are going to get stirred up, for not all have faith. When Nehemiah prepared his men to build the wall that was surrounding, or rebuild the wall that was surrounding Jerusalem, we are told those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens took their load with one hand, doing the work, and the other hand holding a weapon. As for the builders, each wore his sword girded at his side as he built, while the trumpeter stood near. Nehemiah says, I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated on the wall from one another. At whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. God will fight for us. Folks, the role of the trumpeter was to draw attention to where there was an attack by the enemy and then rally the others to the defense. Boy, what a great illustration of the spiritual battle that we're in. Keep the sword of the Spirit girded at your side. Have it always there. Take the full armor of God, said Paul, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything, stand firm. Nehemiah assured Israel, our God will fight for us. (laughs) Likewise, Paul says in verse 3, though not all men have faith, what's next? The Lord is faithful, and He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. That language there, strengthen and protect, is uh, it's military language. The Lord's going to find going to form a line of defense, and that's another priority for our prayer. Again, Paul is is saying this isn't all about me. It's also about you. And though our enemies will become manifest in the physical realm. Taking the forms of men sometimes, we recognize that our battles are ultimately spiritual battles. That's what we're fighting. It's a spiritual battle. So Paul asks for prayer saying, pray that we'll be rescued from perverse and evil men. So we pray for the word that it expands. 
that it expands rapidly. We pray to God for his protection. And in verse 4, we pray for one another. We pray that we will stand firm together and endure. Uh, Paul writes, We have confidence in the Lord concerning you, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. Well, that encompasses every command that Paul has taught and written. Uh, there will be a special command starting next week, a final command, an exhortation that will begin in verse 6. But obedience to scriptural commands, which are the Lord's commands. They're not Paul's commands. Paul is simply, as an apostle, the conduit through which the Lord has made his message clear. Um, and there is a tight grammatical connection, the scholars tell us, between verses 2 and 4, which suggests to us that the way in which we are rescued, verse 2, and the method by which God protects us in verse 3 become effectual in verse 4. That means it becomes realized primarily through our doing what the Lord commands. I didn't get to catch all of it, but in adult Bible class this morning, Mike wrapped up talking about types of prayer and how we know prayers will be answered, and which prayers are the will of the Lord, and, and which ones we can know are in harmony with God. I want to know what's in harmony with God. Pray that you'll obey His commands. It's not that hard. It's very, very clear in Scripture. Obedience to scriptural commands. Um, so, although we cannot control the attacks that come in all forms of evil, uh, our best mode of defense, it's a life and a ministry obedient to our Lord's commands. That's our line of defense. Scripture says, do not give the devil an opportunity. And this passage implies through obedience we exercise some level of control in the matter. I had a person last week express to me an appreciation uh, after some news he had heard that came out of an association of churches, some negative news. He expressed an appreciation for this church and our policy that um, a, a, a lone adult... One alone, a single person, a lone adult, is never to be alone with one single minor. Folks, it minimizes accusations. Print a transparent budget. I can't tell you how many churches I've been to who don't print any form of budget. Nobody knows at all where the money is going. That invites accusation. There's this deal when we pass the budget every fall. Um, people see exactly what I make. When I first came, I thought that was a little weird. And I was going to ask everybody else, can I see what you make? <laughs> Didn't go anywhere. Didn't go anywhere. But I'll be honest. I would rather you know what I make 
and think that I get paid a little too much than to have you not know what I make and wonder, I wonder what he makes. Transparency. Be wise. Don't give the devil an opportunity. We pray for the spread of the gospel. We, we recognize our responsibility in running the race with the gospel. A prayer for God's protection against enemies is wise. So is also using your head. Obey the Lord's commands. In verses 2 through 4, don't presume that the Lord is going to protect you if you aren't obeying His commands. Don't presume that. If you're into some funny business, expect that he's going to expose you. There's a human responsibility in each of these prayers. And then one final prayer in verse 5 also requires action. Paul says, May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. May he strengthen your love and your endurance to stand fast. And though the Lord is portrayed as the source of love, He is. He's the source of all love. Uh, this too is not entirely passive. Love is expressed through obeying our Lord's commands. One in particular we will see next Sunday uh, it's through not making yourself a burden to others while being irresponsible and lazy. That's the command that he points to next, that each one be responsible. And when, pray, when Paul prays they will love and remain steadfast in Christ, it anticipates a response, our response, in obedience to God's commands. The Lord directs because the Spirit indwells us and prompts you and prompts me to obey the Lord's direction. That's how the Lord directs you, through His commands. Folks, your heart would not obey without the Spirit who is in you. They wouldn't. You could maybe fake obedience. There's people who kind of fake it along the way, um, but to suggest that I'm just going to sit on the couch until God gives me some irresistible urge, some irresistible motivation to love and stand firm, or the idea that, you know, I'll love when God forces my heart to feel like love, that completely misses the point. That conclusion can arise as another distortion of God's sovereignty, of which there are many. You know, the idea that I, I, I shouldn't expect to just wait to act and then wait for God to make me do it, like some kind of robot. Many people have been taught that Calvinism is a type of robotic function. I am not going to do anything until God makes me do it, right? A lot of people have been taught that. That's not what Calvin taught. 
That's not Calvinism. John Calvin would never suggest you sit at home until God gives you a feeling of irresistible compulsion to love. And then, and only then, you go express it to others in the body of Christ. Rather, in obedience to God's word, we express it through obedience. That's how you love. Stimulating one another to love and good deeds. You know what? When you do that, when you love through obedience to God's word, your heart will grow warm. Your heart will grow warm toward others. How? Through repeated acts of obedience to God's commands. And over time, I assure you, I assure you, if you will get this, this in your mind, the cause and effect, over time, the cumulative effect of the obedience, faithful obedience to God, it is going to result in feelings of affection and adoration for men. You're going to obey and serve and meet people's needs. You're going to jump in and help where the body of Christ and where the gospel needs you most. And as you serve in that way, over time, oh, the love is going to grow. I promise you. God's word promises you. Our love grows through obedience. And these are Paul's top priorities of prayer. Each demand a passionate involvement on your behalf. We witness the spread of the gospel. We obey the great commission. We stand firm against the schemes of the evil one. We live a life in obedience that's without blame. And then we learn to love like God who first loved us. Steadfast endurance. In summary, these three top priorities for prayer. You know what they are? Pray that you will be obedient. Pray that you will be obedient. And pray that you will be obedient. Prayer takes action, folks. And God, through His sovereignty, will take care of the rest. Obviously, we're kind. We love. We don't want to hurt people. If people express you know, an obstinance to the truth of the message that we carry, that we are trying to share, we don't continue to, to pester them. We don't cast pearls before the swine. It's better to let them be than to increase their offense. But for that friend of yours who's stuck in apostasy, that family member who's perhaps in a 
false manifestation of Christianity. Trust God's word is powerful. Pray and take action. Take action. Where else are they going to hear the truth of the gospel if it doesn't come from you? Let's pray. Father, as you have given us, uh, boy, a, a profound responsibility to obey, to spread the word of God, to, to live a life in obedience to you, to love one another, to love our wives, to love your church. All of these commands seem to be way more than, than a man or woman can do. Yet you have given your spirit that we might achieve everything that you've commanded. And as we engage in this spiritual battle, as we take forth uh, your gospel your word and proclaim it faithfully as we strive to be obedient to the commands that you've shown us clearly in your word father give us the confidence that you're going to act that you're going to spread this gospel that you're going to change hearts that you're going to build your kingdom we pray that we would be at this church locally and abroad that we would be a vessel of your mercy, that uh, you would use us, that you'd give us a joy in being used for your purposes, that we would overcome all obstacles, and that we would be, that we would be a voice for the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.